Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Oodcast, the Ood One Out with me, Chris Sigma, and my lovely wife and friend, Excelsior, Laura Mead. Alright, gorgeous. How you doing? I'm very pleased to be here with you, you wonderful person who I really like. We are doing this, uh, we are recording this on a Friday, the Friday where we're meant to be releasing the episode as well. <laughs> we like to make things really difficult for ourselves. We, we do. So you may notice a few changes, like there's no sketch this week. Oh no, but there is a song, right Loz? Yes, I'm going to go and record it instead of cooking our dinner. Not that you always cook our dinner. No, no. We're no. not some gender normative couple. You want to get a takeaway? Yes. Excellent. Brilliant. I'm glad. And we can't, no takesy backsies on that no because we've recorded it. All right. Let's get a really nice curry. Very nice. I like Excellent. it. Excellent. Well, we're here this week to review The Eaters of Light, which is an episode that we have watched. Yeah. So that's good. So it's easier, isn't it, to do that? I think it is. It's much easier to review something if you are aware of it <laughs> and know what happens in I've it. I've watched it once and listened to it once. What? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, once I saw it, uh-huh. and once I only listened to it. Because I saw it a second time. Yes, that's right. That's right. I watched it a second time because when I watched it the first time, uh-huh. I was on an iPad, and the iPad has a very reflective screen, and a lot of it is set in the dark. Oh. So I didn't know what happened a lot of the time. Hey, were films in the 70s and 80s that featured a lot of dark screens were they harder to watch because i remember going to the cinema and just not being able to see something that's right we've got much better at dealing with low light situations from a cinematography point of view okay in the modern era and it was handy of them to give the monster in this episode some nice day glow boss battle bits do you know what i mean by that neon dreadlocks were they actually on its head or were they in its mouth I still don't know the answer to that one. Both, probably. Probably both. Yeah. Well, it's nice to be back. Well done for a good episode last week. Thanks. We did it all by ourselves. No, we didn't do it all by ourselves. You helped us with the technical bits, didn't you, my love? I just put it up online. You did everything else. No. Alpha did all the editing and stuff. Very nice. Yes. And you stole the mics so I couldn't do a song. That's true, I did. Naughty boy. I brought them with me to Finland, where we got another standing ovation. Amazing. Uh, I know that this podcast is becoming me just bragging about how good my musical show yeah, that kinda. I do is. But hey, I'm, I'm proud of it. I've got a question for you. Okay. Right, so what would happen to the Finns <clears throat> if the monster from this episode had attacked them? Because Because it's light almost all the time. You yeah. stumble out of a bar at three in the morning, or at least I do, because I'm like a cool rock star. And it's Probably just with broad daylight. Gorgeous Finnish lady going, Ooh, Chris, you are so lovely on your arm, because that's uh, obviously how they talk. Of course. It's broad daylight and your body just goes, OK, what we're doing now? And, and your, your head goes, we're going to sleep, body. That's what we're going to do now, because we're knackered. But then your body doesn't listen to your head. 
and you end up staying up all night. I think I would very quickly implode. Well, there is a whole phenomenon of people going day crazy. What happens in the winter when there's no sun? Well, it's quite sad, actually. Um, there's a, it, People get very depressed. Seasonal affective disorder, sad. Oh, no. Yeah, it's true. But that is a nice segue into the episode, which is about the battle between light and dark. And we are going to review it in the way we have reviewed the entire season, through three things that we like and one thing we don't like. Here's the first thing we like. One thing. My one is a tiny moment that I loved, a little detail that I thought was really funny, which is that all of the picks that are left are inexperienced children and they can't do woad well. Just all their face paint is so bad. Yeah. And it's obviously on purpose because Doctor Who can do makeup pretty darn brilliantly. Yeah. Um, so I just love the fact it all looks like a four-year-old did it. Yeah. It, they're trying to be scary, uh, but it's completely undercut by the fact that they've got kind of rubbish spirals on their face. And I like that. I like that from a pictorial point of view but also i think it speaks to the characters they're trying to be grown-ups they're trying to be warriors Mm. they're trying to hold this hill against invaders but they are children and i think that is a lovely visual echo of that speech about to the doctor everyone sounds like children Mm. um so i just think it's nice thematically and it also made me chuckle especially that nardole got woded up that made me (laughs) laugh too I'd like to get woded up. I love a good spiral, me. I hear that the spiral is um, symbolic of the yoni rather than the lingam. Cool. Want to unpack that a little bit for our listeners? It's more like a noonie than a todger. Wow. Yep. Gosh, straight in with the genital talk. <laughs> well, you can see evidence of this in the new Wonder Woman film, where a lot of the decorations in Themyscira are... That'll do. Paradise Island. Yeah. <laughs> They're all, there's a lot of spirals rather than pointy shapes. Right. Not anyway, very phallic. I like a spiral. Um, yeah, I actually agree. That's one of the things that I really liked too. But um, from the other side of the coin, the Romans, who are so... You know, there's this fighting force that's feared throughout the world and yet they're made up of little boys and the oldest one amongst them is 18. And isn't it always the way that the old send the young to fight their wars for them? That is true. But in this case, it was all the older people that had been slaughtered. So maybe they Mm. actually said, stay back, boys. Or maybe the young kids were not experienced enough to be like oh we can definitely do this we've done it before and they're just like that is an awful horror from the depths of hell let's cheese it Ooh, i really liked the plethora of regional accents on display as well as (laughs) ever yeah it was nice to hear the doctor working his full scots twang Mm. not not so much a twang as he is just scottish hey laws i've said it before i'll say it again i love a scottish doctor Me too, for different reasons. You and Sylvester McCoy. Two things. My second thing is the script by Rona Munro. Firstly, having a female writer, awesome. Haven't had enough of those, have we? 
And secondly, she is the only writer who has written for the original series and the new series. Ooh, I didn't yes. know that. She wrote the very last episode of Classic Who, <gasps> which is Survival, which was in 1989, I believe. What happened in that? Um, people in Perivale are being kidnapped by cats and then taken to another planet where they're hunted down by cheetahs on horseback. I think I might have seen a bit of that. Yeah, it was a really good episode. Uh, it was a brilliant end. I remember seeing the last episode and crying to myself, knowing, well, not knowing, but suspecting that that was the last I was going to see of the Doctor on screen. Um, but it was a great episode, except that it had Hail and Pace in it. Um, but apart from that, it was great. And it has the when master in it as Hale well. I think of Hail and Pace... I normally think of a nice meaty pie, probably because they look like they've had a few of them. Maybe. Maybe they used to be pie makers. For our, our international listeners, Hale and Pace were a double act, a comedy double act, a really Allegedly. kind of ITV blokey bloke. blokey bloke, not super funny, really. They look like double act. bouncers who had eaten many pies. They had characters who were bouncers. Did they? Called management oh. by order of dirt management so i guess they weren't the management themselves that they were the bouncers but anyway good episode and uh has one of my most loved speeches in doctor who which i believe is the last thing the doctor says before the end and it goes a little something like, like this. this i'm not gonna do the accent there are worlds out there where the sky is burning, where the sea is asleep and the rivers dream, people made of smoke and cities made of song. Somewhere there's danger, somewhere there's injustice, and somewhere else the tea is getting cold. Come on, Ace, we've got work to do. And that was how he finished. Um, and I think this facility with words is, is evident in this episode too. Mm -hmm. She's a playwright, so some of it is a little overwrought Scripty. perhaps but i don't care i love poetic language i love it when capaldi gets to say that stuff um i also think pearl mac has been brilliant in this one mm. as well as always Consistent. she's always incredible consistently good um and i just like some of the stuff they said i haven't written any of it down but there's a good bit about romans and invaders and actually being cowards uh that's really good uh, mm -hmm. and there's a good bit near the end about destiny and fate and and who ne who needs to look after the world um, so yeah, so my thing is the script, just those lovely lyrical portions, and also the fact that it, it joins me to my nine-year-old self because of the survival connection. It makes me feel like a proper fan, and I can and I see myself now sitting down, getting excited by Doctor Who, and I see my nine-year-old self sitting down, same writer, all of that time, and I'm still so excited and so in love with the program. So that makes me very happy. I bet it do. Oh, my second thing is going to pale into insignificance now. Um, I really, really loved the locations. Um, they picked some absolutely gorgeous examples of the UK countryside. I mean, I don't know if it was actually filmed in Scotland or Wales, but I don't think the rest of the UK, other than possibly Yorkshire, has got that kind of rugged, bleak beauty to it. Um, I've always been a big fan of my native turf and I think this episode really showcased some of our better bits of geography. So I really hope it was actually set here, otherwise I'm going to look like a right dum-dum. Oh, I, I don't know for sure, but those looked like the British Isles to me. Yeah. 
Mm. I like it. We're so grey and interesting. I mean, it was a great landscape, but it was also very nicely framed. Mm. There was some good cinematography. Because, yeah. you know, you have to put a frame around something for it to be art. Uh, mm, my, uh, there are plenty of people probably on the Turner Prize board who would disagree with you. Conceptual frames. Okay. A in most cases. You have to say this is something to be observed and to, to, you are allowed to be moved by it shortly. No, that's not the definition of art. Frames. Or the definition of a frame. I don't know. I'm just talking really. But I think, um, you know, when is something just a beautiful occurrence and when is it art? Isn't it something to do with being observed in a certain way? Hmm. I wonder if any art has been created where the intention of the artist was that it should remain unseen. Because that in itself would be a very interesting experience, sort of. I mean, by its very nature, Schrodinger's we wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. <laughs> is it art if it's not looked upon? Probably, yeah. I mean, we're really knocking this out the park from a profundity point of view this week. <laughs> and let's do some profanity now. No, let's not. You've already talked about... Yonis and lingams, dillbogs and tiddle-toddles. Cool. Uh, great. So the second point for you is the beautiful... Locations. Locations. Mm -hmm. Three things that we liked. I am loving loving really really enjoying the interactions between the doctor and missy in the last few episodes this um, is my one too just to say so we can just talk about it together okay yes let's do that um i wrote something on the community page where it says they're having these conversations and it feels like they're standing on top of a bridge made out of glass where everything that's happened in their previous incarnations is swirling underneath them in this huge vortex of pain and misery and how easy it would be to fall back into those patterns and he doesn't trust her like how can he trust her but he's having to gently walk forward into what may very easily be a trap mm. which we literally just don't know everything feels so delicate and so knife edge poised between brilliance and despair yes well historically it will be a trap because every literally every single other time it has been a trap and the doctor's not stupid but i agree i think it's great and i think the relationship between the two echoes the kind of pertwee era but it's its own thing as well as you say it seems like Everything that they were, they're carrying behind them like the fiery tail of a comet. But they are these new incarnations. So they are at once new and old. And it's this incredible relationship that's just a joy to behold with two actors working at the top of their powers. Mm. Do you think that the Doctor is cutting Missy more slack because this is a female regeneration of the Master that may have different emotional responses? I'd like to think that the Doctor isn't sexist. Well, we know that he's not very good at being a Vestal Virgin. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I was quite interested in that. That was quite exciting. Um, but I do, I do wonder, because we've often spoken about how the possibility of a female Doctor is an interesting one for the change in dynamic that it might result in. And this is a change in dynamic, 
This is the doctor going up against somebody who's repeatedly expressed a romantic interest in him in a way that I'm assuming hasn't necessarily happened in previous incarnations. Oh no, the John Sim Master was pretty randy. He was quite randy, yeah. But that's something else I want to talk about quickly, if that's okay. Go for it. Which is, this has been masterfully plotted, because here we have a master, oh masterfully, I actually didn't think about that. This has been brilliantly plotted, because here we have a master who's possibly willing to change, possibly willing to turn her life around. And what have we got coming up? We've got an old incarnation, the first multi-master story, probably. Like, there's always been multi-doctor stories. So how is this old incarnation going to feel about the new one changing to being a good person, maybe? Is so she I'm, going to defeat herself? Yeah. Oh, it's, my goodness. It's pretty exciting. I am really excited. Yeah. What are you doing Saturday night? I am sitting at home watching Doctor Who. You? Oh, I'm having dinner with a vicar. Yeah. Oh. Shall I not watch it? Yeah, yeah, okay, wait, we'll wait till I get home. Oh my goodness, I want to see it so much. Yeah, it's going to be brilliant. So Partly because Michelle Gomez, oh, come on. What a fantastic presence. I think she's just great. Me too. This bit is not so good. I found a lot of the fight sequences just absolutely laughable. It was so funny. With the little lollipops that they were all sizzling the alien with. And it just, there was, it was ridiculous rather than there being a sense of peril. Even the traditional fighting implements they had, which looked like a kind of a TV aerial well, made out of fish knives. that's called out in the script. Oh, right. He says, waving that TV aerial around. <laughs> oh, oh man, I didn't notice that. But I think the whole idea is that they're meant to be pathetic. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I don't know if they'll be doing an especially good job at fighting the Eaters of Light under the Earth, especially given that their motivational music appears to be on a loop of about 16 bars, which is not really enough to get you going. I mean, if you've got some prodigy or something awesome, like a bit left field, then you can really get your gin up and keep going. But I don't know. I'm not sure that they'd be able to defeat them or keep swapping in and out like some kind of ancient tag team. That was one of my things, that the musicians really did not look like they were playing their instruments. It looked <laughs> like they had Bluetooth speakers. There's a bit as they walk in at the end where one guy's playing a one-string violin. He's not even really looking or moving his fingers. And I'm like, hmm, wow, you're getting a lot of sound out of that single string. Yeah. So, I mean, there are plenty of single-stringed instruments, but you sure. would have to move your hand. I wonder if you could actually play them if you weren't seated. I've never seen anybody play something like that, where part of it is holding pressure on the single string without being seated. Well, one of them, one of the instruments, a bagpipe. Is there even a bagpipe there? Oh, I can't remember. No. If there isn't, then that's pretty rubbish. It's a bit rubbish when music is such a theme Integral of a lot of the dialogue, of yeah. Um, my thing is fairly similar. It's a bit of the production design. I thought the portal itself looked like... For people who don't know, there was a game show when I was younger called Nightmare, which involved a tiny child putting on a essentially a bucket helmet and then going into the worst CGI dungeon ever. And he, he normally he, was blind because he had the bucket on his head and had to sort of sidestep and be 
um, told what to do by three of his friends. And every time they would walk through a doorway, it would sort of pause and then the graphics would change. And going into the portal looked exactly like a 1980s game show. <laughs> they sort of went in and they sort of freeze. It was really funny. But it made me nostalgic again for my youth. So that was quite nice. So just perhaps once again, Doctor Who falling into the ambition bigger than budget trap. Is there a version of a lizard which is a bit like a tadpole? Because these were like a, the enemies were like a raver version of those. A raver version? Well. As in they've got glow sticks. They've got glow sticks, mm. yeah. Very, very effective in the nighttime scenes, but just totally shonky in the daytime. Yeah. Maybe that would be a good thing for the series to do. Just really step back quite far from anything that's not an in-camera effect. Yeah, they could try that uh, for one episode. Be be an interesting challenge, wouldn't it? I certainly feel like that has been far more effective. And I mean, if you think about the lack of effects needed for um, the Empress of Mars, they delivered a very, very convincing set, fantastic costumes, enemies that actually appeared quite frightening. And they didn't need to use any CGI to do that. They did use a lot of CGI, though. Did they? Yeah, I would say the hive was mostly CGI. Oh, yeah, I suppose. But that wasn't really noticeable. And when they did use CGI in making the wibbly wobbly bumble balls, um, that was pants. Sure. Well, on that... Upbeat note. <laughs> Another Oodcast rolls around to an ending, much like a cute a Victorian officer. Yeah. Oh, we also had some funny bodies in this one, didn't we? Yes. Like he sort of pressed them and they sort of sponged in. It was like, <laughs> like they've been liquefied from the inside. Mm, their bones are disintegrated. So, all in all, a beautifully written beautifully shot episode with some lovely things to say about the human condition that for me personally gave me a shot of nostalgia that made me smile from ear to ear. How about you, Elizabeth? Ah, well, I also enjoyed it. Probably not quite as much as you did, but it was good fun. And I really, really enjoyed a lot of the dialogue, especially the concept that Bill is actually quite sort of a prude because she will only go for one gender and really everybody should be more broad-minded broad than that. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was an enjoyable episode. Plenty of highlights. Well, there we go. Well, thank you so much at home for tuning in once again. We really appreciate it. Only two more episodes to go until the end of this brilliant season. Uh, hey, come on, talk to us on the community. We love it there. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of great chat. Or you, you can email us or Twitter us. We're just the Oodcast in both cases. We're actually an email. We're not just the Oodcast. We're the Oodcast at me.com, I think. Oh, nice. I should know that. We've said it enough times. <laughs> but of course, it's not quite the end of our episode because we have a lovely haiku from Alpha. Hi, everyone. Here is the haiku for the Eaters of Light. Invaders conquered by hill-based alien threat. Gates close at sunrise. And of course, 
In case you didn't pick up on all of the classical elements, here is Andy. It's Andy. It's Andy. Yeah. It's time for Classic Andy. With stuff he saw inside the show that he thinks that they planned. Woo! There were shades of the Stones of Blood in this episode, with its stones, transdimensional travel and big black birds. I say big black birds because I think it was crows in one and ravens in the other, but they're both big black birds. And I'm always a fan of different worlds being revealed, hidden in plain sight. The lion, the witch and the wardrobe stays with you forever, I guess. I like a dramatic separation of companion from doctor to reveal different plot strands, creating new friends in the process. And suitably excited by the teasers for next week, those Cybermen have always scared me so much. I can't wait. Well, that will do us for this week. The man is a fount of knowledge, is he not? He is. Also, he's moving to the old Oodcast recording studio on Sunday. Yep, Andy is now going to live where we used to record. Everybody wish him luck. You can do it. Great. Well, parting is such sweet sorrow, so let's have a song. (laughs) Here we go. Black crow crying in the dead of night Lift your broken voice against the dark All this time You were commemorating A warrior named Carr Black crow wheeling in the clouds above Warning of the danger yet to come Marching down Little band of heroes and the piper and the drum Lost in time Lost in time Under the earth you can hear them fight Talking to the deaf and dumb Tales of a conquest gone awry No one hears Keep telling the story As you soar into the sky Keep telling the story As you soar into the sky Keep telling the story As you soar into the sky 